great song, Offering. Wasn't that awesome? Man, great song. Is that the first time y'all sang that? Okay. Yeah. Boy, that's a great song. Thank y'all. One summer, when I was in high school, I went to a sports camp that was put on by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I must confess, one of the reasons why I was excited about going to this camp was not because it was a Christian camp, but because it was a sports camp. Just being honest. I'd heard that there were going to be a lot of college coaches there along with collegiate athletes, and they were going to have football and basketball and baseball and track clinics that were going to be led by those coaches and, and by those athletes. So really, I was more excited about that than anything else. And, and one day while I was there, <clears throat> I was in a, a track clinic and I got to meet and train with a, a former Olympic gold medalist. And after that day that, that he trained with us, he sat us down to, to share his testimony with us. And, and we were all real excited because we wanted to hear about his time in the Olympics. And, and a large portion of his testimony had to do with his time in the Olympics and his experiences. But I'll never forget how he began his testimony. It is stuck with me to this day. He told me that one of the most, he told us one of the most depressing days for him in his entire life was the day after he won the Olympic gold medal. Some of you are thinking, like I was then, what? What are you talking about? I mean, this is the pinnacle of athletic achievement, especially for one who's in, in track and field. I mean, it, it can't be true. And that was just his point. He said, the reason I felt this way was because most of my life, I've been training for this one thing. Ever since I could compete in, in sports, that was my dream, to be successful and to win Olympic gold. And he said, I was determined to not stop until I got there. I was, I was driven. And all that hard work, it paid off. Because he said, I won the Olympic gold. I was at the end of the road that I was on. I won the gold medal. And then he said, after that, I felt empty inside. He felt empty inside. Winning that gold medal didn't do for him what he thought it would. And he came to quickly realize, he said, I could win all the gold medals in the world. And none of those, no matter how many, could feel that emptiness I felt inside. He realized at the end of the day, he was in the same boat as everybody else, with the only difference being he had a gold medal hanging around his neck. He was in the same boat as everybody else, trying to find happiness under the sun and was left with the same empty feeling as everybody else who tries to find happiness under the sun. We're continuing our sermon series this morning through the book of Ecclesiastes in a sermon I've sermon series I've entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. And uh, and this morning we're going to continue 
with Solomon's investigation of whether or not lasting joy can be experienced in this life and in this life only. But before we, before we continue on, I want to I briefly summarize what we've talked about so far, okay? Uh, you remember in the first sermon after introducing the book, I, I talked with you and I shared with you Solomon's summary statements in verses 2 through 3. He, he basically summarizes the, the book at the very beginning. And he says that, that all of life, everything, is the Hebrew word hevel. And that word is translated meaningless or vanity. But we talked about that word is very important, isn't it? Because hevel, it's a loaded word. It means a whole host of things. To simply say it means meaningless or vanity doesn't do the word justice. It, it also means pointless, aimless, useless, transient, short-lived. It, it means all of these things. And Solomon concludes that all of life is, is Hevel. And then in the next week, we talked about how senseless life can be under the sun. And, and, and we talked about how life is senseless because nothing ultimately changes, nothing satisfies, nothing is new, and because there's no remembrance of you and me under the sun. Remember, that was an uplifting experience that we had together. You remember that? I said at least it was sunny that day when you left, so that, that made things a little better. And then last week we talked about the, the enjoyments of life. We talked about pleasures and projects and possessions and how those things, though they can and should be enjoyed, they do not bring lasting satisfaction. And today we're back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn over there. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 26. And in the passage this morning, Solomon is going to talk about success. Making sense of success. And once again, he has a sad but true message for those trying to find satisfaction in achievement. Now, for those of you all rolling your eyes in here and just like, oh boy, here Solomon goes again with his negativity. I mean, when are we going to hear something good, some up, something uplifting, some good news? Well, bear with us because we're going to get to some good news at the end of this text and in the text for next week. But just, just hold on, okay? Because Solomon has a great word for those seeking to find satisfaction and achievement this morning in this text, okay? So, so we're going to look at this this morning. In this passage, Solomon is going to talk about two things in particular that, that have, have brought him success in life. And he's going to examine these two things to see whether or not they have any value in the grand scheme of things. And these two things are wisdom and hard work, all right? So let's look at wisdom real quick. Let's hear what Solomon has to say about wisdom. This is what he has to say. This is his basic point here. Though there is success to be had in wisdom, it does not satisfy Though there is success to be had in wisdom, it does not satisfy. Now, when we talk about wisdom, it's important that we, we, we make a, a differentiation between it and knowledge. Okay? Knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Knowledge is what you know, and wisdom is what you do with what you know. You can be a knowledgeable person and not be a wise person, right? And, and that's Solomon's point here. What Solomon is talking about in this text, in these verses, is making smart 
and informed decisions. And I think we would all agree that that's a key to success, isn't it? Making good, informed decisions. If you were to go to a conference on how to succeed in business, my guess is that your guest speaker would be a person who has made good decisions and has prospered from those decisions. And you would go to this conference to learn from their wisdom. So I, I think we would all agree that wisdom is a key to success, right? But in this passage, Solomon gives two reasons why wisdom, though it's better than being foolish, still falls short. Here's the first reason why. Why wisdom does not satisfy. Number one, the wise and the foolish suffer the same fate. Verses 12 through 15. Solomon says, So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and that there is more gain in light than in darkness. The, per, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive what the same event happens to all of them. Then he said, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart, that this is also vanity. So first notice here, Solomon, he doesn't turn his nose at wisdom, does he? In fact, in verse 13, it seems like he's on to something. Maybe he's finally got an answer. He says here, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and there is more gain in light than in darkness. So maybe he's on to something. But his aha moment soon turns to an uh-oh moment. In verse 14, because he realizes that wisdom, though better than being foolish, has its limits. Notice what he says in verse 14 again. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Solomon, even though he admits that it's better to be wise than foolish, regardless of how intelligent you are, Regardless of the, the wise decisions that you've made, regardless of, the, of, of how much you have prospered from those decisions, the, the wise are going to die along with the foolish. Both have a similar end. If you read the obituaries, they are filled with both wise and foolish people, aren't they? Different paths, the same fate. What happens to really smart, educated, thrifty, wonderful, glorious people? They die, right? What happens to brutal, mean, nasty, uninformed, ill-tempered, sick, wicked, crooked people? They die. The same fate overtakes them both. Bill Gates and a criminal on death row share this in common. That's Solomon's point. And Solomon looks at that, and he just sees incredible vanity in it. And if you think about it, don't you? I do. It's like being in a chess match and having your king on the run. And any of y'all that are, if you're as good at chess as I am, you, you can relate to this. Because if my king's on the run, 
I'm in trouble. I can move around for a little bit and I can do some moves, but eventually my king is going to fall. And that's what wisdom is like under the sun. You can move up in life. You can make these great decisions. You can prosper. But eventually, you're going to suffer the same fate as the fool. And that's Solomon's point. Then it really hits home for Solomon in verse 15. He says, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Now this is where it gets really sobering for Solomon. He moves from the point of thinking, oh, people are going to die to, oh, I'm going to die. As he is, it, it dawns on him as he is meditating upon this truth that death is coming to him also, which forces him to ask the question, what's the purpose of me being wise then? This is also vanity. Solomon saw his life speeding to a quick end and, and concludes that though it's better to be wise and though he's wise and, and, and uh, though he's wiser than, than almost anybody, his fate under the sun will be the same as the fool. Which causes him to say, what good is wisdom in the grand scheme of things? Number two. Second reason why wisdom doesn't satisfy is because the wise and the foolish are both forgotten. The wise and the foolish are both forgotten. Look at verses 16 through 17. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been forgotten, long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. So Solomon expresses his concern here that all of his wisdom, all of his hard work, all of his accomplishments will soon be forgotten like the fool. And I know I've made mention of this before, but, it, but, it's, but it, uh, we need to make mention of it again. There are people in life who die daily who have made great contributions to our world who we never even knew existed in the first place. And in the same way, there are people in our life who have done horrible things and lived horrible lives that we never even knew existed in the first place. Solomon here is, is, is just showing once again this, this similarity between the wise and the foolish. And once again, he's pointing out the vanity in it. You can live an incredible life. You could have an enormous impact. You could find a cure for cancer. And then several years after you're gone, it'll be like you never were here to begin with. It's like a rock, throwing a rock into a pond. For a moment, it makes a ripple. And then after a moment, the waters are as they were before and the rock is no longer. That's Solomon's point. Don't believe me? Let's consider those who have reached the pinnacle of success. How many in here can name five Nobel Prize and five Pulitzer Prize winners? Not me. If you can, see me afterwards. I mean, this is true, isn't it? 
We don't know the names of those who have made positive contributions in our world more, any more than we know the names of those who have died in prison. And have you ever noticed how hard we work to undo this reality? We do, don't we? You ever seen a tombstone made of cardboard? No, what are tombstones made of? Yeah, granite, rock. Ever seen names posted on them with, uh, with, with masking tape and marker? No, they're etched in stone, right? And still they're forgotten. Death is the great eraser. And now we see in this text that Solomon is getting really upset and really frustrated, and he's, he's becoming more and more pessimistic about life under the sun. You remember a few weeks ago, we talked about in the passage where Solomon says, the more knowledgeable I become, the more miserable I become. Well, we see that in verse 17. Look at what he says here. I hated life. And the reason why he hated life is because he understood the absurdity of it. He said, I hate life. Because the one who makes a lasting and positive contributions in this life are going to be forgotten like the fool. He said, I work so hard, tirelessly. For what? To be forgotten like the criminal? To have the same fate as the fool? What's the point? Because both the wise and the foolish are forgotten. So, Solomon says, okay, if not wisdom... How about hard work? Got a lot of hard workers in here, don't we? Some in significant positions of of leadership. So is there satisfaction to be had in hard work? Let's see what Solomon says. This is his point in this passage. Though there is success to be had in hard work, it does not satisfy. Now some of you are probably in here thinking, yes. I can agree with Solomon on this one. I don't, know about, I don't know about pleasures and possessions like we talked about last week. I don't know if he's, he's right there about those not bringing enjoyment, lasting enjoyment. But I'm with him when it comes to work. I know what it's like to have a boss always on my case. I know what it's like to dread Mondays. I know what it's like to be in a dead-end job. I'm with Solomon on this. But before you jump on his bandwagon, It's important to know what Solomon means when he says work does not satisfy. You see, Solomon here is not talking about the job itself. He's talking about what you bring home and what you buy with what you bring home. Now, many of you who just jumped on Solomon's bandwagon just jumped off, right? Because if anything makes a job worth it, it's a paycheck, right? It's what you bring home and what you buy with what you bring home. It's the fruit of your labor. Let's examine why Solomon says this is not satisfying. In verses 18 through 23, Solomon gives three reasons why hard work, though it brings success, is is vanity. It's Havel. Here's the first reason. First reason why hard work doesn't satisfy is you can't keep the fruit of your labor. You can't. Verse 18 Solomon says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Well, Solomon knew one day he was going to die. 
And all of those things he worked for, all those things he labored for were going to go to someone else, which, which, which causes him to question accumulating all of these things in the first place. You know, Jesus also talked about this as well, didn't he? Remember the parable of the rich fool? I love that parable. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21. You can mark it down and look at it later. Luke 12, 16 through 21. I think it's in your spiritual growth guide. It reads, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I like this. Oh, I know. You know, it's kind of a, uh, yeah, I know what I'll do. I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. Here's the truth of the matter. There's going to come a time when you and I are going to die. And the fruits of our labor are going to go to someone else. You can't take it with you, even though some have tried. Hearses were not meant to, carry, uh, to pull U-Hauls, were they? No, we laugh at that. You know, it's, let's be honest, how many of us at one time or another have, have thought that we're going to have our, our, the fruits of our labor and we're going to enjoy them long term? Solomon says, no, this life is fleeting. Scripture says, the earth along with its desires are passing away. Solomon says, it's a vapor of vapors. Which leads him to his second point. You can't keep the fruit of your labor. You also can't protect the fruit of your labor. Verse 19 through 21. And who knows whether he will be, a, uh, be wise or a fool. Yet he will, master, he will be master of all for which I toiled and, and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't work for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. Solomon says here, I I've worked so hard for these things and they're going to end up going to someone else. They're going to go to my kids and my grandkids and they're going to take my, my, my fortune and they're going to misuse it. And don't we know that to be true? Oftentimes those who are left with an inheritance, they squander it. They destroy their lives. They destroy the lives of their family members. They destroy the lives of their friends. Solomon says, vanity. That's vanity. I enjoy keeping a nice yard. When I was in Fort Smith, I, I really took a lot of time. Uh, you know, I laid, laid sod in our yard, and, and I would treat it throughout the year, and I would water it in late spring and in the summer and the early fall. And, uh, and I, I would spend, you know, probably about two or three hours a week out in the yard. 
And I got to thinking about this week. We, you know, we're trying to sell our house, and, and someone may move into our house that doesn't care about a yard, doesn't care about keeping a nice yard. And if they go several months without treating and without watering and even without mowing, the weeds could grow up, the grass could die, and it will look like no one cared for the yard to begin with. That's Solomon's point. We work so hard and it goes to someone else and they just squander it. That's vanity. Solomon's words here, though they're hard to hear, they're prophetic, aren't they? Think about Solomon. His son, Rehoboam. Due to unwise decisions he makes during his rule, he undoes all of the accomplishments of his father. All the hard work that Solomon does is dismantled in one generation. Vanity. That's vanity. The truth is we can't protect the fruit of our labor. Here's here's the third point here. You often don't get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Verses 22 and 23. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. So so Solomon here, he he explains the reason why we work so hard and the reason why those who work so hard don't get to enjoy, uh, don't don't experience joy, are not satisfied in their labor, is because they work so hard and they think long and hard about work that they don't even get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. He says your work takes your nights. I mean, it takes your days and it takes your nights. How many of you have ever laid awake at night thinking about your job? Stressing over your job. How many of you have woken up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep because of your job? Solomon's point. Your work, it takes your days and it takes your nights. How many of you spend your days off thinking about what you have to do the next week for your job? Yeah. Some of you even work from home. Your work takes your days, it takes your nights. It takes your days on, and it takes your days off. Solomon says, hard work doesn't satisfy for this reason, because we we spend all our time in work mode, thinking about work that we don't even get to enjoy the things that we've worked so hard for. So success through hard work Though there is some advantages, it ultimately is meaningless, aimless, and and futile. Here's the third thing Solomon has to say about success. Though success under the sun doesn't satisfy, life with God does. Here's the good news. You're like, yes. Finally, some good news. Here's the good news. Life with God does. So far, Solomon's message, it's been pretty dim, hasn't it? Which leads us to ask that question, what are we supposed to do with this? If there's no lasting satisfaction to be had in in pleasure and projects and possessions, in wisdom and hard work, how are we to live? What are we to do about it? Well, look at what Solomon says in verse 24, and you may find it surprising. He says, there is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment. In his toil. This I saw is from the hand of God. 
Now, wait a second. That doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, is Solomon, has he got some kind of split personality going on? Is he changing his tone? What does he mean? He, he's been talking about how all of these things are, are vanity, and they're striving after wind. So what's he saying here? Is he changing his tone by saying that there's nothing better for us to do than to eat and drink and find enjoyment in life? Well, you'll remember when I introduced the book, I shared with you a key phrase in the book. And that phrase is, under the sun. Under the sun. Yeah, under the sun. And, and uh, that key phrase, when Solomon says that, what he's doing is, he is giving a, a perspective. And it's a limited, horizontal perspective. Life under heaven, it's a horizontal limited view that, that looks solely at life on this earth. No revelation, no God breaking in, no God revealing anything, no God speaking, just life on this earth. And this has been Solomon's perspective up till this point. But here, in verses 24 through 26, Solomon doesn't change tones, he just changes perspectives. That's what he's doing, he's changing perspective. Look at verse 25 and 26. For apart from God, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So in these verses, Solomon is speaking of life above the sun. In the previous verses, he's shown how all attempts to find lasting satisfaction under the sun lead to despair. They're hevel, they're, they're meaningless, aimless, futile, and, and fleeting. But here, Solomon looks above the sun, okay? Though the low roads of, of pleasure, projects, possessions, wisdom, and hard work don't lead to lasting satisfaction, what he shows here is that these pleasures... Get this, Solomon says these pleasures can and, and should be enjoyed through a relationship with God and a life lived for him. This is good news. I want you to get this. This is good news. You see, everyone gets to experience certain gifts from God. They do. Such as life, good food, drink, the fruits from labor, most everybody gets to experience these things. But listen, only the children of God who walk with him and who faithfully live for him get to experience these and enjoy these while still experiencing lasting satisfaction that comes from a relationship with God. You know what spoils these simple pleasures of life? It's trying to get more out of them than what they can give. That's the reason why many people, they, they abuse these things. That's why you see gluttony and greed and all of these kind of sins. Because people are trying to take these pleasures in life and trying to find lasting fulfillment in it. And instead of enjoying it, you know what happens? It just becomes a greater frustration to them. That's what happens. That's the worldview Solomon's been trying to shatter for two chapters. Though you can and should enjoy these blessings in life that come from God, no, lasting satisfaction doesn't come from the blessings they come from God himself. Mark Driscoll puts it in this way, and this is so good. Write this down. Commit this to memory. This is what Solomon's getting at here. Stuff is for enjoyment. God is for satisfaction. That's it. 
That's the point. Stuff is for enjoyment. God is for satisfaction. Stuff in this life, the pleasures of this life, can be enjoyed, but they do not satisfy. God is for satisfaction. Satisfaction is found only in God. Let me end by saying this. There there are many in our world, and I'm sure many here this morning who are pursuing satisfaction under the sun. You may be here and you you may be hoping that you'll just find something that's going to, to bring fulfillment to your life. Let me ask you this morning, how's that working out for you? I asked you this last week. What do you think it's going to take for you to truly be happy? Before you answer that, let me urge you to consider perspectives of uh, successful men who have gone before us. Look at this. John D. Rockefeller. I have made many millions, but they brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt, a wealthy American businessman who when he died, he was the richest man in the world. He said this, the care of 200 million is too great a load for any brain or back to bear. It's enough to kill anyone and there's no pleasure in it. Another extremely successful businessman and the first multimillionaire, John Jacob Astor once said, I'm the most miserable man on the earth. Henry Ford The automobile king said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Why? Why are these wealthy and successful men so happy, so unhappy? Because there's no lasting satisfaction to be had in pleasure, projects, possessions, wisdom, and in hard work. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, probably before we end this series. God never intended for us to be satisfied in life under the sun. He intended for us to be satisfied in His Son. That's it. It's what Jesus said in in John 10.10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came so that we might have abundant life. He doesn't call us to a grim, lifeless, miserable existence that squashes human potential. He calls us to a rich, full, and joyful life in Him. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, there is no better time than right now. Are you searching for lasting satisfaction? Have you been on this search for a long time and are you tired of it? Your search can be over this morning you turn from your sins and trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you have given us in this life to be enjoyed. Father, forgive us for trying to get more out of them than what they can give. Bring each and every one of us to the, uh, to the realization, God, that though stuff is for our enjoyment, you are for our satisfaction. If there's anyone here this morning searching for lasting satisfaction under the sun, Father, bring them to the end of their search by bringing them to repentance and faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen.